This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode of A Slot with Morals. I am your voluptuous host, Ruby May. If you're new here, you can follow me on any social media platform by typing in A Slot with Morals on that platform search engine, or simply click on the link tree in the description below. Super proud to say that this podcast episode is sponsored by the Grown Man Logic podcast. It's it's honestly, it's, and I love this podcast so much, it's a podcast where these guys, they're a dose of reality with a heavy urban influence. And you know what it is? It's, it's a show aimed at building better people through critical thinking and accountability. I'm going to put their link tree in the description below so that you can check them out. You guys, you, they're funny. They're, they're deep. They're, they give you different perspectives on different issues that are going on in the world around us. So I say head over there, give them a listen and give them a follow too. All right. Now, back to the show. If you're new here and you just started listening, welcome to this podcast of chaos where we embrace the weird. Now, this podcast is a little bit of everything, a little love, a little dating, a lot of sex, a bit of conspiracy, and sometimes a bit of mental health. Season three is coming to an end with only one episode left, and I just want to let you all know that season four is probably going to be the best season I'll have with so many new guests I'm going to be having on the show. This next season is going to be it. I know. So to all of you silent sponsors and those that believe in me, thank you so much. You guys, I know I've had a few hit and misses this season because my heart wasn't really in it. I feel like, I feel like I'm not yet to the point where I can stop talking about the podcast I don't think people are spreading the word about it and when I'm in the middle of a depressive episode where I haven't showered for six days and I have to be the one tagging and what feels like begging for people to listen to it, it feels exhausting. It's an entirely, it's a whole job. This is actually going to be my last season. I was going to get rid of the Instagram and change the Twitter name and delete the FB page and just move on. But, you know, that's not... It's not y'all's fault. It's mine. I think I just, I've come to realize that 2021 was really shitty for me and I have internalized so much shit that happened and I wasn't talking about it because while I was hurt so much by other people, I didn't want to hurt anyone. I didn't want to drag anyone down with me, especially you guys, you know, that, that just want and hope for the best for me. (laughs) Fuck. Seriously. Thank you. Shout out to each and every single one of you. But because 2021 was probably the best worst year I had with losing friends and family, my car, my car, man, losing my car felt like I lost my freedom, my sanity, you know, not being able to travel anymore, not even short distances like to Austin or San Antonio or even downtown Dallas. I wasn't able to work anymore. And I really, I really hit rock bottom. 
And then I went fucking sober for the people that weren't even my friends, which was shitty and made me feel shitty. And so I stopped dating and I just felt like I wasn't me anymore. I still don't feel like me. I sometimes feel like I, like a robot, like I'm, like I'm on autopilot. Do you guys know that feeling? Anyway, cliche as it sounds, I started writing and focusing on meditating and journaling. And the more I wrote, the more I noticed I had, I had some really, really dark shit going on. And I don't want this podcast to become a place where I'm unhappy all the time. I want this podcast to be a place where you could come to laugh or learn or anything but be sad with me. And that's why season four is going to be balls off the walls. I'm going to put all of my heart into it and and it is the year f- I know it. And yes, I mean, like, I know I can come to y'all with anything and and that this is a safe space, right? A place of healing. So let's do that. On this second to the last episode, let's talk about some stuff that we probably knew and some stuff we probably didn't. We all know that I have daddy issues and mommy issues. My dad left when I was three, and when he came back into my life when I was 16, he just literally came back to die six months later. It's like I got to lose my dad twice, which, unless that's happened to you, it's it's a totally different, like, abandonment issue, okay? My, My mom and I, like, we hardly ever see eye to eye and it can be super difficult, you know, especially when your parents are boomers and they somehow can't understand that mortgages and car notes and rent and classes for school and even groceries are so much more expensive. Look, my mom raised me and my brother in a two-bedroom trailer on the outskirts of some honky-tonk town here in Texas. She was hardly around because my dad's new wife wouldn't let him pay child support, so my mom had to work two or three jobs just to, pu- just to support us. And she did what she could and made sure to take out her frustrations on us whenever she could. She doesn't remember it that way, but I have a, but I have like fully formed core memories of some things that happened that I will never ever do to my kids. And it's so crazy too, because I thought I repressed so much in my childhood that when a memory like just comes creeping up all of a sudden, I have to text my brother and be like, yo, did this shit happen or did I imagine it? And he'll text me and be like, nah sis that shit happened and I'm like yeah no okay and it's so crazy too because like the way we were punished as kids you know like the the discipline that our kid that our parents gave us as kids by today's standards let's face it our parents would have been in jail by that same evening when people tell me that I'm a good mom or I'm a cool mom I'm like okay thanks (laughs) and then when I get asked like how did you become such a great mom and my answer is always the same I learned from my mother and I leave it there like I don't go the extra mile and say I learned from my mother what not to do have you guys ever said something like this growing up I'll never be like my mom or I'll never be like my dad yeah same or maybe or maybe you didn't and you soaked in you know these behaviors and you learned how to manipulate and lie and cheat your way through life who knows you know when we're kids and we're growing and we're developing we look to our caregivers our parents our guardian our you know our guardians as examples of how to interact with the world around us and if those caregivers behave in dysfunctional or unhealthy ways chances are really really high that 
kids will learn to mimic these same super unhealthy behaviors, even if it's unintended, like even if we don't mean to. So going back and looking at our childhood and teen years usually sheds some light on, on our behavior as adults, like the way our caregivers interact with us as well as each other, shape our view of the world and those around us, right? This will in turn affect three fundamental structures. One, our sense of self. Two, the way we communicate. And three, how we form relationships. Unless we do the work to develop more self-awareness like I teach on this podcast, but unless we do that work to develop more self-awareness of our like behaviors, of how we treat others, of how we treat ourselves, we usually repeat these same patterns that our parents, our caregivers taught us. We take that into adulthood and the trauma that we experience growing up starts to manifest in our adult relationships. And so I went around and you guys know I did the digging and you guys know I did the research and I stayed up late and I and I hit probably like 17 different other websites and then I was like yo whoa this is nuts so what the next thing I'm going to talk about is like the top 10 ways that our childhood trauma manifests itself into our adult relationships And I mean, like, I've talked about this in a few episodes, right? How kids that come from one parent, from a one-parent home, or your parents just weren't around like mine, you know, you usually, like, you did have your parent, but they just, you were super fucking neglected to the point where, I don't know, the first person that tells you you're pretty or pays you a compliment or fucking gives you the tongue, you're just like, oh my god, I'm fucking in love with this person, right? Anyway, you usually develop a fear of abandonment, even if you did or didn't know your other parent, right? You live in one, with one parent, and maybe you do know your dad, but he's not really around, or vice versa. Children who are neglected, or were neglected, or abandoned by a caregiver often struggle with fears of abandonment long into adulthood, even if they are unaware of these fears on the, sur- on the surface level. Underlying fear is that your spouse, significant other, partner, or what have you, will eventually leave. These thoughts often reveal themselves in everyday situation, situations, sorry, such as getting scared when a partner goes out by themselves or being unable to self-soothe yourself if a partner leaves a room during an argument. This fear is also often manifested as jealousy or, in extreme cases, possessiveness and the need to control your partner. Getting irritable or easily annoyed with others is second on our list. When we grow up in environments where we are frequently criticized or witness others being criticized, we learn that this is a natural way to work to express our displeasure in relationships. We learn that our imperfections and quirks are intolerable and project that intolerance onto our partners or others around us. Instead of seeing people's flaws and imperfection as what makes them them, We are unable to see others as perfect, yet view ourselves as superior in some way because, I don't know, dumb shit like maybe your partner snores but you don't or maybe they have a tendency to sometimes chew a little too loud. When you badger someone consistently for small insignificant shit like that, you make them feel small and insignificant. Remember that. Number three on the list is 
needing a lot of space or time for yourself. What? I know, I'm right there with you. But when you grow up in a chaotic or unpredictable environment, it creates a lot of stress, right? And it often leaves children's central nervous system in a constant state of hypervigilance. Then they become adults who need a lot of time to themselves in order to calm these symptoms of anxiety, nervousness, and fear. Staying home where you can control your surroundings feels safer and allows you to relax, right? Yeah, that makes sense. But there are extreme cases where some adults even have severe social anxiety and even agoraphobia, which is like going outside of their home or even the thought of having to leave the house or being in a situation where you can't find a, find a way to escape. It's a real psychological condition. And you guys, when I talk about how being in an unpredictable environment leaves a child's nervous system in a constant state of hypervigilance, I'm talking about how you learn the sound of how everybody's footsteps sound in your home. Um, you recognize the sound of car doors so well that you know whose car it is. You can recognize the sound of, of whose keys are jingling. You know what I mean? Um, you can recognize the sound of like someone's fucking breathing and that's everything that puts you like in a hyper state of vigilance. And then Another thing too is that like as soon as you enter a building, and I know that this is a lot of like military training too, but this is something that I learned as a child and then it developed over time when I started working in like really big hospitals and stuff and I was just like, okay, where is the exit to every single room? Like if an intruder comes, if something happens, like I need to be able to leave immediately. And that's the type of hyper vigilance that I'm talking about. And moving on to the fourth sign that childhood trauma is manifesting in your adult relationships is unequal financial and household responsibilities. Sometimes this can look like a reluctance to rely on a partner at all due to fears of depending on another person. You're super hyper independent, like not codependent whatsoever, right? Other times it takes the form of taking complete financial and or household responsibility in your partnership or fully taking care of the other person to the point where you are totally and completely taken advantage of. And then you have the extreme opposite where you start relying too much on your partner to the point where they're the ones that are taking care of you. That is also a result of unmet childhood needs. I know. I learned so fucking much, you guys. Like, I hope y'all are too. And this next one, this one kind of kind of ties in with number one, where we have a fear of abandonment, remember? Well, number five is settling and staying in a relationship way past its expiration date. When we grow up in an unstable environment with caregivers who probably struggle with drug addiction, alcoholism, mental illness, or unfortunately, sometimes illness or death, children often develop a sense of guilt that comes from wanting to end a relationship before we have been able to quote unquote, fix the other person. Staying with someone who is not a good fit for us sometimes feels safer than being alone, which is why you meet so many people that can't stay single for very long. They have to be in a relationship. Like they don't know how to be single. They should, but to them, it's not about not loving themselves. It's about not being and feeling alone. You understand? Okay, moving on to number six. 
Constant arguing or fighting in relationships or totally and completely avoiding conflict at all costs. You can't handle confrontation. Which is, well, for lack of a better word, super fucking dumb. Okay, look, all relationships have conflict. All of them. Not every day in your relationship is it going to be roses, daisies, and sunshine. Okay? But unfortunately, children who grew up in environments where their their caregivers were either always arguing or avoided any sort of conflict whatsoever often do not learn the skills necessary to have productive and healthy communication. This includes healthy and productive ways to navigate and manage conflict or even take constructive criticism. It's not that you aren't perfect. It's that constructive criticism, which is a helpful way of giving feedback that provides specific actionable suggestions, right? So it's something that you can do and change for the better. That's what constructive criticism is. Rather than providing general advice, constructive criticism gives specific recommendations on how to make positive improvements, which is completely different than just being criticized and judged. Now, criticism, on the other hand, criticism in a relationship occurs when we focus on our partner's flaws and pass judgment. It is expressed through disapproving, critiquing, correcting, blaming, nitpicking, or fixing, which is often called mother henning and i have been wanting to talk about this for so fucking long mother henning is when your partner pretty much micromanages the way that you take care of basic daily tasks they criticize you the entire time and belittle your contributions to the household or even the way you're raising your kids it becomes critical critical if you don't do these basic tasks the way that your partner would do them unfortunately it becomes a consistent loop of saying you don't them saying you don't do enough around the house or you never help out and when you try to they get frustrated because you don't do it the specific way that they would do it then the next time that they ask you to help you ask them how they would like for you to do it so they get frustrated and then they tell you that you can't even do a basic task on your own you should be able to figure it out yourself unfortunately it's usually women that fall under this mother hen persona they constantly refer to you as one of her other kids. Oh, he's my other child. <laughs> that right there already implies that you are incapable of taking care of yourself. That's how they think of you. This includes jokes like, oh, honey, I have no idea how you kept yourself alive before I came along. Or without me, you'd probably just starve to death. Oh my God, you can't do anything right. Or, oh my God, you can't do anything without me. You'd be useless without me. Or, my favorite, never mind. I'll just do it myself. Mother hens undermine the way that you father your children or say or say that when you spend time with the kids, you're just babysitting them. Making you sound like a shitty, clueless husband, a downright idiot, or a really dumb dad. It's really shitty because there are women out there, married women, okay, praying that their partner would for once take the trash out on time instead of letting it build up. There are women out there praying that their husband would watch the kids so that they can take a nap. There are women praying for men that will load the dishwasher no matter if they loaded it right or wrong. Belittling your partner is never okay. Never. Doesn't matter what tone of voice you use to belittle them. If you begin to treat your partner like a child, say goodbye to that relationship. Just, that's it. You're done. Because what's gonna happen 
is you will start to become bitter and then resent each other. Ugh, we gotta move on. We gotta move on. Number seven is not knowing how to repair after fights. As mentioned before, when we do not learn how to have productive and like healthy management of conflict, we also tend to not know how to repair a relationship after the inevitable conflict that happens in partnerships. This can look like pretending it didn't happen, not knowing when or how to compromise on an issue, or even giving the fucking silent treatment. I fucking hate the silent treatment, okay? I fucking hated this shit when my husband would do it. I hated it. He would just grab his keys and leave and then not talk to me for days. This man could hold a fucking grudge in his sleep. Like, if I would turn over in my sleep and get too close to him, he would move over or just go sleep on the couch. And and leaving me, just leaving me by myself in, in our bed, making me feel so unloved and alone in my marriage. It is the ugliest, most depressing, darkest feeling to live with someone you love and they make you feel more alone than when you're by yourself. He would give me the silent treatment and if I had to tell him something about the kids, he'd stare at his phone the entire time and just grunt at me. And he would do this for days. He would make me feel so bad and so just ugly, so unloved, unwanted, and despised until I was the one begging him to please, please, please love me back. I'm your wife. Fuck. And then, and then, he would have the fucking audacity to bring up shit that had happened weeks or months or even years prior. A year before we separated, I knew our marriage was over when he brought up something that had happened almost a decade ago. I shit you not. And I looked at him and I said this. This is why we can't move forward. This is why we're always stuck in the same fucking situation. You hold grudges so deeply that blessings can't even be sent our way. I looked at him and I said, you wanting to see me miserable and sad is preventing your own daughters from being blessed. You rather live in your own turmoil than forgive me so we can really move forward and have the things we are working so hard for and to be blessed as a family. You, you're not even hurting me anymore. You're hurting them. I may have done what I did 10 fucking years ago, but you know what? You did it too. And you did it while our child was in my tummy. And I forgave you. I forgave you when you messed up and you hit me, when you'd come home drunk. I forgave you for every lie, for every cheat, because all the love in my heart for you was good and pure. I forgave you so much and I loved you so much. I even gave you another perfect baby girl. You can be miserable. I'm not gonna let you make me unhappy anymore because I'm done. Do what you want to. I don't care anymore. Be miserable by your fucking self. That was the last time we had a conversation as man and wife. We went through the motions for the better part of a year. We weren't even roommates. We were two strangers parenting under the same roof. Guys, when you stack a shit brick upon another shit brick and build yourself a shit house with no windows for even the sunlight to come in, nothing good will ever come your way. Forgive yourself so you can forgive others. They don't have to stay in your life, but that ugly, gloomy bitterness, that feeling will only weigh you down in life. 
and it'll follow you around. That ugly feeling will weigh you down in life way more than forgiving someone and walking away. Okay, I'm done with my rant. LOL. Moving on to number eight, serial monogamy. This is often due to fears of being hurt again, fears of being alone, or even trying to prove that you are worthy of the love and affection that you did not receive in childhood. With each new partner comes, a ho comes new hopes to confirm that you are worthy of the love and partnership that you're missing. But number nine is the complete opposite. Number nine is worrying that you're settling <laughs> fear of commitment or avoiding relationships altogether. And this is due to caregivers who were so unreliable or they abandoned you, leaving you distrustful of those who claim to care for you. If you fear that others will hurt you the way your caregivers did, avoiding settling down can feel safer because it allows you the freedom to leave the relationship when and if necessary. And the last one on this list is trying to change your partner. This is a trauma response that comes from the belief that we need to do the best with what we have, or even the fear that we can't do better or find better. Unfortunately, we can't choose our parents. So as kids, we learn to try to make do with what they have. As adults, it's common for this pattern to carry over in our partnerships causing us to desire changes within our partner in order to calm down our own fears of our relationship. If we can't quote unquote fix the person and make them a better partner, we can somehow prove to ourselves that we are worthy and able to have a successful relationship. Look, I've said this before a hundred thousand fucking times. Your partner is not a diaper. You cannot change them. Scottish comedian Daniel Sloss, and I'll put the link in the description because it, it's something that everyone should hear, but he has a jigsaw puzzle analogy for love. Daniel Sloss talks about how when he was seven years old, he asks his dad about love. And his dad said, as we go through life creating our own individual jigsaw puzzles, you know, what we like, our experiences, etc., slowly piecing it together, imagine that everyone has lost a box. So we don't know exactly what the jigsaw puzzle looks like. Nobody does. And sometimes people that come into your life and then they leave, they take their puzzle piece too. And then this perfect person will come and complete your puzzle. So in his seven-year-old brain, what he heard is, if you are not with someone, you are broken. If you aren't with someone, you are incomplete. And that's how we've made every single person as a society feel or make us feel, right? Every com every rom-com, every Disney movie. Then we try to force someone into our jigsaw no matter if that someone doesn't fit our puzzle, right? Because society told us that we have to have someone. And then five years later, you're looking at your jigsaw and you fucking hate what you see. Time does not equal success. So it doesn't matter how long you've been with someone. What we tend to forget is you are two very different jigsaws. You are both still working on different jigsaws, right? You two are still working on, on very different things. So he ends the analogy with 80% of people are not in love. They just never learned how to love themselves. So they essentially employ someone else to do it. He ends up saying, when I get into a relationship, I end up compromising and changing myself. And then after a while, I hate myself. Why do I hate myself? 
because I'm whoever this person I'm with falsely manufactured. So now if you don't love 100% of who I am, you can fuck off. And that's not arrogance and that's not narcissism. It should be how everyone should think because if you do not love 100% of the person that you're with, then you do not love them. You love an idea of them, which you have falsely fabricated in your head. And it is not their fault if they do not live up to those expectations. You have to love the good with the shit because, and these are his words, he says, I am 90% shit, but you have to love 100% of me. Otherwise, there's no point in being together because I will love 100% of you, even the annoying bits, because that's what makes you you and I'll love you more for it. That was beautifully said. So what can you do to change your behavior, right? Well, you guys aren't going to like the answer whatsoever, so I'm just going to say it. Sorry. While self-reflection is essential to any form of growth, therapy can help with the process as it can hold you to be accountable, as well as assist with the feelings that come up along the way, right? And this is why I say go to therapy. A psychologist, they'll develop an action plan for you to help you change, to help you become better. Your friends are not trained to do that. A psychologist and a psychiatrist are. If you don't want to go to therapy or you can't afford to go to therapy, many people find support in other ways such as journaling, group support, spirituality, and other forms of support and self-reflection. Doing the work to unlearn dysfunctional behaviors is essential to interpersonal growth. You can stop and break the generational curse your parents bestowed upon you which was bestowed upon by their parents and so on and so forth. Be the parent you wish you would have had. Okay, y'all, that is it for me today. I'm your curvy host, Ruby May. I hope you have the day that karma allows you to have. So with that being said, remember, every day that you are six feet above ground is a good day to be better than who you were yesterday. Okay? Okay, thanks. Bye.